Hey, all right. Welcome back to the Deep Focus Podcast, part of the Playlist Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rodrigo Perez. I'm also the editor-in-chief of theplaylist.net. I hope you're doing well, keeping safe, hopefully vaccinated by now, and slowly re-entering the world. Maybe you've even been to a few movies and theaters now. I've only done one so far, but I hope to do more when I can. Uh, Okay, so this week in my semi-irregularly scheduled podcast, my guest is writer-director Hannah Fidel. Fidel is the indie filmmaker behind such films as the relationship drama Six Years, the empathetic Netflix comedy The Long Dumb Road starring Tony Revolori and Jason Mansukas. But her career really took off in 2013 with her feature-length directorial debut, A Teacher, that was, you know, really critically acclaimed at South by Southwest that year, and it also launched the careers of indie filmmakers Lindy Burge, Lindsay Burge, and Will Britten. A Teacher centers on a high school teacher in Austin, Texas, who takes sexual advantage over one of her students, and her life begins to unravel as the details of the relationship are exposed. Something of a psychological thriller crossed with a character study of a woman falling apart. 2013's A Teacher was evocatively ambiguous. But, you know, seven, nearly seven years later, uh, she's got a very different take on, on the similar material. Fidel returns to the exact same subject matter by making a remake of her own work. Um, so 2020's A Teacher for FX is a 10-part limited series, and in a way, it's it's very different. Uh, state starring uh, Kate Mara as the teacher and Nick Robinson from the Love Simon movie. The original movie started uh, long after the relationship began, and the series takes a more expansive look at you know all of it: the relationship, the grooming, and of course uh, the dark consequences of it all, going far beyond you know the scope of the original film. It's quite the emotionally complex series that draws you in, sort of intoxicates you to the relationship, making you complicit in it all, really, and then harshly turns on the lights, like at a like a bar at two a.m., and you know, puts a thudding reality on on it all. Um, you know, it's a bit of a rug pull, but that's kind of the point. You know, Fidel's here to draw you in and, and talk about this bluntly. Um, she also bravely continues the series far past the point most would, delving deeply into the consequences, shame, and impact this affair, uh, this inappropriate affair, has on the teacher and the student and the impact it has on their lives. Um, Mara is outstanding in the series, and the breadth and scope of Fidel's look at this uh, 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 unfortunate, inappropriate relationship, how it evolves and quickly turns uh, wrong and, 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 and horrible is incredibly well-directed and, and written. It's tough material, but it's, it's really compelling television. Um, joining her in the series are simpatico indie directors Andrew Neal and Jillian Robespierre, and she talks about, you know, uh, the challenges and benefits of, of being a writer, director, and showrunner who got to oversee an entire writer's room on the series, you know, which was a first for her. She's not totally new to TV. Fidel's directed episodes of Casual, Sorry for Your Lost, and The Act, but a teacher, but the teacher miniseries was definitely, you know, her biggest undertaking um, thus far. Uh, Before I go any further, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Um, This episode of Deep Focus is brought to you by National Geographic's Impact. National Geographic presents Impact with Gal Gadot. It's a documentary short series that follows the powerful stories of six women who are making extraordinary impact on their communities around the world. Despite seemingly insurmountable challenges... 
These brave women remain undeterred as they dare to dream, stand up, speak out, and lead. Executive produced and hosted by Gal Gadot. The series is for your consideration for outstanding short nonfiction or reality series. Watch it online now or on National Geographic's YouTube page or visit natgeotv.com FYC for more information. Okay, uh, before I forget, as always, Deep Focus is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, the regularly weekly Playlist Podcast, The Discourse, The Fourth Wall, and more. And you can hear us on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, do us a big favor. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast um, wherever you get yours. Drop us a comment or a rating. We really do appreciate it. It helps. Um, and we thank you for listening. Okay, let me wrap up quickly, but I urge you to check out a teacher. And most importantly, uh, I urge you to listen to this entire podcast with Fidel because I think she's really bright, really talented, a smart filmmaker, uh, one that maybe not everybody really needs to know, but she's really sharp. She, she, you know, she says a lot of, she's, she's just on it. You know, when you talk to a filmmaker and you're like, this person's the real deal, Fidel's the real deal. Okay, I think we're going to hear, you know, just only bigger and better things from here in the future. Um, And note, at the end of this podcast, she tells me about an intriguing new political series she's writing and pitching that sounds really cool, and hopefully we'll see that. Um, And she's also going to be directing episodes of the upcoming Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee sex tape miniseries for Hulu starring Sebastian Stan, Lily James, and Seth Rogen. That should be really awesome and really fun. So anyhow, here's my conversation with the uh, lovely, uh, super cool, and talented-handed Fidel. All right, thanks for listening. Hey. Oh, you there? Okay, cool. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm here. Great. Um, <laughs> How's it going? Where are you at? I'm in LA. <laughs> oh, and it's cold? <laughs> I know. It's it's like cold and gray and yeah. Very. I was like expecting you to uh, to be in, in Austin because I've been revisiting so much of your work and everything's always Austin. <laughs> There's always like... I wish I wish I was in Austin. <laughs> Are you, were you based there? Are you based there? Or maybe you're based in LA now? Yeah, I haven't lived in Austin since maybe 2012. So I've been in LA since then. But even this, this show is is there, it like keeps kind of bringing you back. Is that kind of That's, like... Basically, I just make work so that I can go <laughs> to Austin, if only for a few days. <laughs> right, right. Well... It's a good town. I really like it too. It's a good place. And are you in New York? I'm in New York. Yeah. Cool. So I, I was thinking, you know, maybe one thing to, to start is, is to maybe like, you know, start with like just the idea of like for maybe someone who has not seen um, the original movie, like breaking down what that was a little bit, and then maybe using that as a way to talk about your intentions for the new one. Cause I think that's just, you know, obviously kind of really key. Yeah, sure. So in 2012, I made a film called A Teacher, very small, independent film, my first film. And the movie is about a high school teacher who has an affair with one of her students. The story is about a very specific moment in time in that relationship. So it's 
right before they're found out. And it's sort of the climactic moment. If you're looking at a traditional relationship story where you have the beginning, the middle, and the end, this was really only the middle. And I did that because I was just really fascinated with being able to delve into these people's lives in in the minutia of their lives and the emotion specifically from the teacher's perspective, played by Lindsay Burge so well. Yes, she's great. Uh, Yeah, and uh, just being able to make it a real character piece and... And it was driven more by the slice of life sort of Gus Van Sant elephant-esque. That was really my major reference point when I was making the movie. And so it ends right before they're found out. And the film went on to premiere at Sundance. We were able to sell it. And a producer, Michael Costigan, who saw it at Sundance, approached me and said, I want to know what happens after the movie ends. Would you ever want to turn it into a TV show? Really? Way back then? Yeah. Yeah. So we actually originally sold it to HBO and developed it there. And then for a variety of reasons, it I don't think it fit into HBO's, their target of what they wanted, but we were able to take it back. And as we were pitching it back around this time with Kate Mara attached, Me Too was happening. And so that really shifted how I saw the show, how I wanted to open up the story so that it not only followed, like in the movie, the movie is really strictly from the teacher's POV. In the show, you know, for me, for, again, a variety of reasons, I was excited about telling the story, but from a different perspective, just from a creative standpoint. So it didn't feel like I was just redoing my own work. But so that was really great to be able to have the time and the space and the budget to be able to show a more, I would say, traditional beginning, middle, and end of how these and why these um, abusive relationships can and do occur. That's true. I would also argue that it's maybe not quite traditional in the sense that beginning, middle, and end, and maybe even going beyond the end. I feel like most shows or movies would end like the way you know your original is like you're found out and we sort of it's like bow and it ends and uh, this big and we can we can we can imagine oh god this is gonna be a big shit storm for everybody but it kind of just kind of ends dramatically but here you go deep into consequences and it's almost like a an epilogue in a kind of way like it's a, it changes the mood and stuff and and i would argue that's we don't generally see that and we don't generally see spaces that and and in some ways kind of unsexy in the way that like this is a grim reality here like but uh uh it's kind of it's kind of cool that that you go there so was that also part of I mean to me that feels like like you know I, I I watched the show but I also watched the movie right before I saw the show when it first came out and then you know the first thing that struck me was like oh wow like this is like you know consequences it's like yeah. one of my biggest takeaways when seeing it yeah because the whole back half of the show is all about living with the consequences as they're forming in real time and so 
Yeah, I mean, that's one of the joys of limited series is that it allows you to do things that you just can't do in a movie and have the space to be able to do that. And I just think this is my own, um, I obviously I'm a filmmaker. I love movies. I am a cinephile, Mm -hmm. but it is the rare film these days where I find myself really wowed by structurally how for me to not see what's coming by the second or third act is rare. And so, but when I do get that, I get that from watching television now because the canvas is just so much um, larger and you can do really new, you can play with structure in a way that I find really exciting that can help the narrative feel fresh and different and unlike what you've seen before. Right, for sure. I mean, it's sort of getting to be in a strange way I and mean, maybe it's because I don't know how what you think about this, but like we're becoming very accustomed to the narrative of television and, and how we see dramas on it. And and we I, I think you know obviously just because of the maybe even the p- pandemic, maybe people are watching even more and more TV. And it feels to me in some cases that like especially when I go and see a movie, all of a sudden, it feels like there's no space for character development in movies anymore. And and that's not necessarily true because there's been movies for decades, decades, and and you know for so long we've seen character development um in movies in some of the great you know movies wherever it's the 70s or whatever these great character movies but it's maybe we're becoming so accustomed to things that it it really feels like almost would you would you maybe agree that like it's kind of becoming hard to tell a character driven story in a movie i think the i think it's hard to get those movies made right (laughs) and for that reason it's it's I mean, I'm always fascinated first by character and then by plot. Right. So for yeah, it's, it's, but it is rare. Although I was going to say that there, I can think of a specific example and it's the feature you did before this because it's a road trip and you, the plot is the, 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 the trip and the characters that was what happens between them. You're learning about them along the way. So yeah. But it's pretty rare that that we get that. I mean, maybe the road trip is the the perfect uh, the movie uh, paradigm for for letting character unravel. You know, I think it is. But that movie started with just a fun character that my co writer Carson Mel and I had come up with, mm-hmm. and so it was really character based. And then it was okay. Let's just put him in situations. And specifically the Jason Manzoukas character. Let's just put this guy in situations and see how he reacts to them. As opposed to he needs to hit all these plot points. Right. It was more just a way to get to hang out with that character. (laughs) Right. Well, an interesting way to, to think about that movie in relation to this is that I don't know if it's improvised, but it certainly feels improvised. I know that, uh, six years, a lot of it was improvised and I'm just curious how much could be improvised in this because that's generally a, wor- a way that you have worked in the past and this feels to me a lot more scripted. It was, yeah, fully scripted, I think. But at the same time, I knew when I was writing it that I was writing for Kate. Right. So I, I knew her, I knew how she talked and I could write for her, which I love doing. Right. 
with Nick, who came on later after the scripts had all been finished, he, we would talk about it, but he really, for the most part, with a few exceptions, I, I, he just did what was on the page. But I am of the opinion that if a line of dialogue doesn't work, then the actor should say what they would actually say, right. what right to them. I'm not dialogue Nazi <laughs> by any means. It's really, it's about is the sentiment, is the feeling coming across. That's right. the most important thing. It's not the words on the page. So, so that's interesting. Like this whole project is really interesting in the way it's come together. It's so much different than I kind of imagined because I didn't realize it was something that was in the works from the very beginning. Yeah. But so, so tell me, like, you know, you've got obviously Kate on board and that's kind of rare, you know, sometimes like writing for someone and then you go on board. So like, what are the initial conversations that you have with her when she's attached to this that, that get her attached? Like, what are you you know, are you having that conversation pre Me Too, after Me Too? Like, how does that conversation go? Because obviously the show gets into a lot of stuff about consent and the complexities of all of it. You know, there's there's, there's a lot. Yeah. Well, Kate had seen the film and, you know, saw what I think that I was handling subject matter that could come across as salacious, as... uh you know, sort of lifetime e and doing it in a way that was really grounded and that I, not that I, just that I was going to allow her to really sink her teeth into a role. And I think for an actor that is thrilling and exciting and there's a certain, there are some actors who would shy away from playing a character who does bad things. And that's something that actually Kate seeks out, I would say, because she is just very curious about the human condition, um, as broad as that sounds. But I think warts and all, she it's fun to play right. someone so different than yourself. <laughs> she was, in, a lot of the time, actors, you know, they get an executive producer credit. They don't really do anything. It's just something their agents negotiate for them. But Kate, she really was involved and was a real partner. And I was able to really talk to her about intent and the emotional turmoil that I imagine a character like Claire goes through over the course of the season and and right. she didn't shy away from the danger of that. And to me, that's just the mark of a an excellent actor. And she is certainly that. For sure. And and this is a character that, you know, it's it's is seen in a very unflattering light. And yeah. and there's also not you don't give her like a redemption and you go all the way down the line to these consequences. So, so tell me about like a little bit more about that sort of the, your rethink with me too, because it feels like it's an interesting thing. What's what I find interesting about the series too, is that there's this whole kind of tension between the kind of thrill of what they're going through that you feel as an audience. And it's very evocative the way you do it. And obviously purposeful, intentional in terms of its music and its dreaminess. And it really sucks you in. And then <laughs> you know, it's like you're at a, a, a bar at 3 a.m. and all of a sudden the lights go on and all of a sudden yes. whoa, 
And it's like, that's a, that's a great analogy. I love that. I'm going to start using that. Do it, do it. <laughs> because it is, but it's, it, it, I found it also um, pretty bold because it, it really takes the, the viewer. Uh, you're, I mean, the viewer's kind of in it. And tell me a, a lot about that because yeah. it's just, it's, it's really bold and it's an interesting choice. Well, I think I've been very fascinated by the fact that it is so clearly wrong for a male teacher to have an inappropriate relationship with a female student. And yet there is something in our culture that there are people who don't see anything wrong with a, a female teacher, Mrs. Robinson type, sleeping with their student. And clearly both are abuses of power. Clearly both are wrong. Uh, what I was just intellectually curious by was why what is it that that makes the female teacher male student so fetishized in our society and sort of forcing the audience to be complicit in that not only in that fetishization but especially in the first few episodes where we really we very much and very purposefully for exactly the reason that you mentioned wanted to make the audience feel confused by what they were seeing, potentially even root for them, because that would make that moment where we turned everything around and, and made it clear that what was happening was wrong feel even hit harder. Right. And <laughs> yeah, and so it was very much like a creative way of forcing the discussion of what is this that we're watching? Why is this wrong? Why why is it still fetishized in our society and in our culture? But I don't think that we would have been able to make this show with out adding if we were just doing it like the movie and if it was just in the predators in the teacher's perspective because that's just not I mean it's fine for a small independent film to explore that side but we're also in a different era now right you know exactly yeah exactly so it could potentially feel irresponsible to not give the victim right like I feel like and that's sort of what maybe one of the things I was interested in asking you about is just yeah. like sort of you're, try, you're, you're trying to tell television, you're trying to do something entertaining and, and compelling and all this, but there's also, I don't just want to say new, but things have shifted where I think rightfully in a way that we're trying to give agency to victims these days. So oh, certainly you're probably, was there issues where you're, I don't know the problem, but it's like, you know, you're balancing a little bit of responsibility with what the normal parts of entertainment of, that you would tell in, in television. Certainly. Yes. The difference is that when I myself am a victim of sexual assault, I, uh, granted, it was not with my teacher. Uh, it was with a friend. We were in college. Wow. Uh, I, the movie for me was a way to sort of explore what he might be thinking, That's what lies he was telling to himself. And the show, you know, goes into that a, a bit, but I was also just creatively in a place and emotionally where I could tell Eric's story because I was ready to, granted, it's very different, but I was ready to live on the page and directorially in that mindset in a way that I wasn't able to 
you know, six, seven years prior. So yes, there's a, a responsibility to audiences, but it's also just, I would say selfishly, my own personal growth and ability to confront right. feelings that I didn't necessarily feel ready to when I was making the movie. Sure. It almost sounds like you're saying you have a responsibility to the character who happens to be yeah. yourself in some ways. Yeah, totally. Which, I mean, you know, I think male victims of sexual abuse are, they have a very different trajectory and path. And it's much harder for them to see themselves as victims. It's harder for them to get the help that they might need. But it was at least enough where I could tap into it just from a, a real honest place. Right. Uh, well, it's interesting that you say that because it also just feels to me like maybe that might not be so hard for you because even I'm just thinking about your films, you know, the long, dumb road, like there's like an honesty to like, it feels, it feels very natural, like what this guy's yeah. going through and stuff. And, and your, your, your storytelling in general to me feels very dictated by emotional honesty, whether it's in this comedy yeah. Whether it's in the story of, uh, you know, two uh, uh, 20-somethings that have to split apart or here, it feels like that's the, maybe the driving kind of impetus of your, of your filmmaking and storytelling. I think, yeah, it's emotional honesty. It's groundedness in sometimes very difficult situations, which I think is just, I'm very interested by how people react to feeling trapped. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the case in all of the films that's sort of the through line um and so yeah it's how do people react in those moments of crisis where they feel like they have they have no other option right that makes um, sense because it could spin off comedically it could spin off and depending yeah. on the character and the truthfulness of that situation yeah yeah. Um, tell me about, because this is your, well, not really your first time telling doing television because you've done, that's what I was going to ask. You know, you've got, you've done television. So does that, but you're just directing and yeah. does that sort of lead to prep because you've done things like casual and, and trying to the act and uh, yeah. um, things like that. So you you have, you have done television and then, but now you're effectively creating and that's sort of another question I have is like are you the showrunner is there a showrunner I mean it's your thing but like it's not a traditional I mean did you have a writer's room like tell me how much all that is yeah, different. yeah. you're totally. doing a film you're, you're you're essentially an indie auteur you're doing your thing and now you're yeah. in television but it's slightly different I don't know tell, tell me it's about slightly that. different although I would say that it didn't feel that different <laughs> Um, and partly it's a testament to FX being so creator driven and their thing was, let's just give the creators the support that they need to go out and do their thing. So they, I had a writer's room. There were five of us in there and I have to say, I loved it. (laughs) I loved, (laughs) I because coming from film, it's like you work in a room by yourself. And I am of the opinion, there's a lot that I don't know. Other people's ideas are probably better than mine. And to go through this creative process, at least the script writing part with this group of really excellent people. It was so much fun. So that I have to say. Ideal. <laughs> oh, it was the best. Yeah. 
because when you're screenwriting, you're you got a page in front of you and it's blank and you've got to go. But when you've got a bunch of people and you're being able to talk through everything and, and it just I feel like that would probably spark so much. It did. And especially for a subject matter like this one, where, you know, there, there was a lot of debate on how the how are we going to handle the obvious moral implications of of this show so and do it in the right way that still felt fresh and yeah I mean it, it that was very fun so I the way that it worked was I had written the first two scripts and done a I guess like a mini bible that sort of laid out where I saw all right. of the season going and it was always going to be a limited series so we didn't have to worry about what was going to happen. And then using that template, we were able to very quickly write write all the episodes. But showrunner is really not different than directing. <laughs> Being a writer director, because it's 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 all the production stuff you have to know. And and I think actually being a writer director from features makes you a better showrunner because you have the production experience at right. least that are maybe first time showrunner and yeah it was i i really enjoyed it and honestly andrew neal directed two episodes and jillian right and jillian directed two and as a director it's very rare to be able to see other directors work and so that was a real treat too to like be able to i'm getting that experience right now as i'm directing an episode of um, this Pam Anderson, Tommy Lee. Oh, you are? Awesome. Yeah, yeah, show. And I was on set last week and being able, like, again, being able to watch Craig Gillespie direct, it's just like the best. He's so good. And it's such a treat as another director to be able to see someone else on set working because Directing is, you know, like DGA rules are that you can't have another director on set. And so it's uh, just a real joy. It's really um, interesting. I mean, film is obviously collaborative, but it's it, you know, directing, writing and directing, especially when you're a writer director can feel very solitary. Right. And yeah. like you have to have every answer because everything came from you. And, yeah. and there's so much pressure in that way. And yes, it's collaborative, but I feel like TV really lends itself to what you're talking about, maybe more even a truer collaboration where you're really bouncing off stuff and there's no rules against you and all yeah. that. And then at the same time, I feel like there's this really interesting that's happening in, in television right now, which is this, what you, your show is, which feels like it's a little bit more of like a hybrid. Like, you know, you've got traditional film and then you've got traditional television with showrunners and, and writers and maybe those writers you know, are not involved when you come to set and all that stuff. And now it feels like this sort of middle ground that's taking maybe the best of both worlds, which is feels like more of like, you know, maybe an auteur driven TV like you're doing. I, I And which it's, it seems exciting to me, but probably also exciting to creators like yourself. No, oh, it's the best. It's great. It's really, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> So you're, you would do it again. <laughs> yes, I would do it again. I hope to do it again. <laughs> I would, we even imagine that you might trying to be develop things like that, because given the story, uh, given everything we've talked about in this conversation and the storytelling like you like to tell, yeah, uh, that space has moved to television, right? Or streaming or whatever, right? Like yeah. long form narrative. Yeah, it has. You know, not to say that I don't want to do features because right. I very much do. And um, 
I am desperate to tell some stories that I think are better suited for features. Um, it's just so much, I mean, it's hard to get anything made, but it is right. really hard to get movies made right now. Well, we have a huge appetite in every streaming service in the world, right? Like with content, wanting content, content, content. I don't know if you're going to watch all of this, but right? You would you would think that would be the case, but it people are very risk averse. Probably, but do you not think that like, like, I mean, if I were doing this, I would be going to someone like Peacock or someone who's new who needs pitching specific, like we need content. Here's a name. Right. Yeah. feel like the, those guys are all needing content, right? They have buckets to fill. They have, there's going to be, and, and we just keep seeing more and more streaming services coming and they need content. Yeah. They need content, but they also need money to pay for that. content. <laughs> so that's also the issue, right. but no, it's, it's just, it feels like a very exciting time and right. that especially in TV, people are not as risk averse that you can tell stories that are just that feel bold that feel right. like you couldn't have told them even on television you know five years ago so it's really it's just an exciting time to to be able to make I mean yeah help. This feels like a very good, I mean, proof of concept. <laughs> Here you go. It's like, <laughs> what, what's next, right? <laughs> yeah. Great question. We'll what, see. Do you, do you know what you're, what you're doing beyond uh, this uh, Pam and Um, I, yeah, I, I'm currently writing a new show. I thought I would never go back to high school, but after a teacher, but I am back in. It is a sort of, how did I, how did I pitch it at the time? It's uh, Euphoria meets House of Cards. Wow. Yeah. So it's, a, it's about growing up in DC. Oh, okay. Wow. That's yeah. interesting for sure. Wow. That's really interesting because we've seen the DC perspective a zillion times but not yes. from this perspective of a high schooler who's probably your parents and everybody around them completely consumed in this. Yes, exactly. Very yeah, good. so the stakes are very high. <laughs> awesome. I love that. I, I can't wait. Please make that. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> All right. Um, are, you, are you directing a few episodes of Pam and Tommy or just? I am just doing the, uh, the Pam Anderson backstory episode. Nice. Wow. Yes. You got some good stuff going. That sounds like yeah. that's very delicious. That's anything back I can't even begin to tell you how great that show is already. And wow. I just, the photos are amazing. It looks really cool. I'm really, yeah. I saw that Lake Bell was directing. She, she revealed yeah. that on Instagram. She's another great, I was like interesting, all the simpatico filmmakers that you're working with Gillian and, 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 you yeah. know, and Andrew and all that. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, I, uh, thank you very much for your time. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for you. I think that's super cool. I, I want more people to see your stuff. I know, I know they obviously do already, um, but yeah, uh, thanks again. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.
Okay, so that was Hannah Fidel, and thanks for listening to Deep Focus. Uh, as always, uh, Deep Focus is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, the regular weekly Playlist Podcast, The Discourse, The Fourth Wall, and more. You can hear us on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, do us a big favor, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and drop us a comment or a rating as we do appreciate it. So uh, thanks for listening. That was episode number whatever. I don't know. I don't keep track anymore. It's deep focus. I do it when I can. Um, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you listen to the other pods on the on the Playlist Podcast Network. And later this week, hopefully, we'll have um, Abel Ferrara. Um, I didn't conduct the interview, but I will tee it up. Really excited for people to hear that. Uh, Charles Bromesco, who you might know from you know, a lot of different uh, places. Little White Ro- Lies, Rolling Stone. He's written for us. He's written for all, all over the place. Uh, he conducted this interview with Abel Ferrara, and so I'm super looking forward to that. Abel Ferrara is the king. So yeah, uh, Defocus, Hannah Fidel, thank you so much. Take care, and we'll speak soon. Bye. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.